So we're going to jump right in to the Gospel of John, the ninth chapter, as we come to the end of the blind chapter, if you will. We pick up with Dandy Don. You remember I called this man who is in church history named as Celadonius. That's uh, given by the Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church to the man who was born blind, that, God, that Jesus gave him sight. I called him Dandy Don because he ought to be smiling. I mean, he'd never seen in his life and now he can see. So what a wonderful way to think of this guy. And as I thought through it, and as I ended with you last week, they had just thrown him out of the temple. He'd been excommunicated, if you will. In Greek, he is ex-balo. Exit, meaning out. Balo, meaning toss, like we get the word ball from. He'd been tossed out of church. Anybody been tossed out of church here before? I'm not talking about bar rooms either. Mm. Well, yeah. <laughs> mm. Now, Cliff, you're going to miss messing with us now. But, I mean, you think about it, and, and I told Dan that this week. He gets my, you know, post-sermon and my pre-sermon, and he really wants to just stay in his office and leave me alone after a while. But this man, everything had been given to him by Jesus, by being able to see, and then the church took everything away from him. This is a guy now, if you've been excommunicated in a Jewish community by the church, by the synagogue, by the temple, if you will, by the rabbis, you're not going to be able to work. We're not going to employ a non-Jewish guy. You can't marry any of the local girls. We're not going to get to marry a Jewish girl. You're no longer one of us. So he has gone from a mountaintop experience to probably kicking the dirt, thinking, wow, I'm so glad I can see. But yet... I think there's got to be a little bit of a smile on his face. And today we get the reassuring words, Jesus found him. Somebody ought to say amen on that. Jesus found him. How many times have you been thrown out of something? Thrown out of a job, thrown out of a relationship, thrown out of financial status. I mean, you feel like you've been thrown out you feel like you've been rejected, but now Christ comes, and because of this man's faith in the Son of Man, the Messiah Jesus, he is accepted into glory. Crazy, but the guys who were listening to uh, Jesus talking to Dandy Don, they realize that Jesus is somewhat inferring to them that they are blind. It's as if the preachers are saying, the one I've been preaching about to come has now come and I can't even see him. And that Jesus says, yeah, you're right. In fact, you're spiritually blind and that type of blindness that has been offered to see Jesus and yet chooses not to see him remains guilty of their sin. There is no forgiveness. And that's what the last verse will say to us. Let me remind you, though, before we read this, because some of you, will, there'll be questions. This is a powerful passage. I mean, what, what a exclamation point on this entire story of Don and Jesus and what he came to do. But remember back, John 3.16, most of us have John 3.16 memorized. For God so loved the world that he gave the only begotten Son. You can say it with me. And how many of you have memorized verse 17, which is up there? 
He came, yeah, we can read it together. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That is as powerful a statement almost as 316. I mean, those ought to go, they go hand in glove together. So it's crazy that there are some people who are so spiritually blind, they've been told the truth, Yet they choose to remain in their blindness, stumbling through life. And although you might have seen me standing in front of two Ferraris, if you were here early enough with the videos that we played, or the slide deck, we had the Ferrari Club show up yesterday at our Cars and Coffee. And I took a picture standing in front of them. I said, I'm going to put it on our church website and say, look what my church has blessed me with. <laughs> and I'm sure that the IRS would be called next if, if I did that. And those of you who know me, it would be a Corvette that I'd be standing in front of. But this, there was a lot of money parked on that one corner. This is a Volkswagen commercial. So here we go. You guys play it for me, please. That's right, you're right, you're right, man. Good Lord, have mercy. Yeah, we're moving all right. Brother, what kind of limousine is this? It's a Volkswagen, sir. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we're the Porter sisters. <laughs> praise him, Paula. Praise him, Paul. Praise him when the sun goes down. I could not find that in an English without subtitles. So I think that truly was a European German commercial. So they had to subtitle it. I, it was, I thought it was great. So get your Bibles, John 9, and we're going to close it out, verse 35 to verse 41. You know, it's interesting that Dandy Don, you'll see, has gone from uh, being a man begging in front of the temple uh, to his physically healed, who, who calls the guy who did it. He calls him first Jesus. He said, I heard they called him Jesus because he didn't know who he was. He, he then goes on and calls him a prophet. Then he calls him somebody who must be from God. Then he says, you are the son of man. And then he says, my Lord. So what a change in this man's life. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and they asked, what? Are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, as we look at this passage once again, and as we see in it the beauty of who your son is, and your love, and his power, and 
and the grace that he extends to us. And we see the response that Don gives to Jesus and how we should have that response versus the hypocritical faith that the Pharisees had. Help us to see today. For I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Two points today. I've, you know, it's funny. Over my eight years, I've been here almost March to be eight years. I've gone from three-point sermons to two-point sermons. And sadly, I think I've gone from preaching 20 minutes to 40 minutes. So what happens if I go to one-point sermons? Please help him, Lord. Don't ever go there. Do you believe is the first thing I want you to consider this morning. Let me remind you that Don had never seen Jesus. He is blind at the temple gates when Jesus spits on the ground, gets some mud, and just as the Father made Adam, Jesus makes him new eyes, if you will. Puts them on his eyes and says, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is the pool that is meant to send or sent. He sends him to wash. So he's never seen Jesus. He goes, he washes, he can see, and you know the rest of the story. He tells his neighbors, the neighbors don't, oh, what happened, you know? Well, I don't know. The man who said they called Jesus did this, and they take him to the Pharisees, and that's interview one's with the neighbors. Remember, interview two is with the, the Pharisees, and then there's the interview with the parents. They bring the parents in. Oh, yeah, this is our boy. Yeah, 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 he's cleaned up and, you know, looking pretty good now, but Ask him who did it, and that's eventually when they have interview four, if you will, or the second interview with Dandy Don, and he tells them, you know, I just know I was blind, and now I can see. And when he gets kicked out, as he is stumbling along now with sight, but not knowing where to go, he is found by Jesus. Jesus asked him, do you believe in the Son of Man? King James, as much as I love King James, I always look at Judd, and there are others. Ed, are you King James mostly time? Yeah. It says Son of God, does it not? Well, the Greek says anthropos, which is the Greek word for man. So, King James, I'm going to take the more modern ones this time. I love King James. I'm not here speaking against King James. Please don't hear that. But you need to understand that the Son of Man was a term that was familiar for Jews of Don's day. Somewhat should be familiar to us. Because I think it's mentioned over 60 times in the four Gospels. And in fact, in, G in John... Alone, it's mentioned 12 times. Jesus is referred to as the Son of Man in chapter 1 when he talks to, remember I've given everybody names, Nick at night. When he talks to Nick at night, he says that the Son of Man will be lifted up. And on and on, 12 times in this gospel, he refers to himself as the Son of Man. Now, what does that mean? Well, just as any Christian or moderate Christian or liberal or conservative or anybody that's been bounced around church or kicked out of church, you probably have heard of the rapture. You may have heard of the Antichrist. You would know these terms. Maybe not be able to define them exactly, but you'd know what they are. And this comes, the Son of Man, and I think I put it up there for you. Did I? Daniel? Do I have that up there? Maybe I do. Okay. In my vision at night, this is Daniel's prophecy, and he has had these visions of these beasts, and at this point he has a vision. At night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, 
son of God, if you will, from King James, coming with the cloud of heaven, he approached the ancient of days, which would be God himself, and was led into his presence. Go to the next one. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. power. All nations and peoples of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So the Son of Man title gets synonymous with Messiah, with the Christ. So it is not strange language to dawn that Jesus would say, who is the Son of Man? And with that, he says, let's look at it exactly, let me get my cheaters out here. Who is he, sir? Who is he, sir? And I, I'm reluctant to always keep dropping Greek words because you really will think that he's either showing off or he's a scholar. I am not doing either. I'm just hopefully giving you a better understanding of God's word. Kurios is the word that is used there for sir. And then once he believes, he says, Lord, I believe. Kurios is the same word. Now, how can Cliff explain it and Cliff you know, day language. I am going deaf. I know that. Well, hard of hearing. Comes with gray hair. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Dan's office, we often talk through the wall, and he will say something, and I can't hear him. Either I've got music on or he's mumbling. You know, that's what deaf people always say. Hard of hearing people. You're mumbling. No, I'm not. You just can't hear me. And I will say, sir, Sir? But when I was in the Air Force and the commander said, do something, I would say, yes, sir. Two totally different ways that I would use the word sir. And Don has explained, sir, who is this man? And Jesus says, hey, buddy, you've met him and you're looking at him. You're talking with him right now. And that's when he says, Lord, he understands now. He is the one who has given him sight. And what does he do? He worships him. One more Greek word, and I'm about done on the Greek words today. The word for worship there is a combination of to or to fall and kiss. Old security forces guy, defender back there, you ever tell anybody to kiss the ground? Worship right now. That's what he's saying. And that's what this man did. In fact, if you ever cross the red line on a flight line, some defender, some security forces guy is going to tell you to kiss the ground. You're going to be laying prostrate, prostrate, not prostrate, prostrate, yeah. Ooh, one little R, I knew I was going to do that. You're going to be laying at the ground, kissing the guy's feet that has got a gun on you. And what Don does, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. And as we think about that today, belief, I'm going to use this word, demands worship. Belief demands worship. Belief manifests worship. Belief causes worship. It also causes and it should manifest action. This man believed in Jesus but I want you to know that in our nation, worship is declining. Lifeway Research, which is Southern Baptist Lifeway, those of you who know what Lifeway is, um, 
organization, is, along with Pew Research, just released this week, and I saw another flag on it today as I turn my news on, the Christian news that I look at sometimes. 45,000 Protestant churches closed since COVID. 45, I'm sorry, not thousand, that's Baptist talk, 4,500. Yeah, that's a lot of places. 4,500, but only 3,000 new churches were started. Because, you know, there are new churches, new, new startups all the time. And the first time it said since Lifeway has been tracking the number of church starts and church closures that we've ever seen a negative trend. And then, of course, pre- Pew Research is giving all the reasons, all the excuses. And, you know, some blame it on COVID, some blame it on online worship, some blame it on the next generation, you know, because everybody in church is so judgmental and they don't want to be judged. Well, I don't think any generation really likes being judged, right? I mean, you know, some blame it on the music. It's too old. It's too new. Some blame it on the preaching. He can't get it. She can't get it. The cold congregation, the temperature of the sanctuary, the parking, whatever excuse you can use to rationalize why people don't worship him. Well, I think simply blame it on each of us here today. When you don't invite, when you don't witness, when you don't pick up your Savior and share him with someone else, we spread the blindness, the spiritual blindness of this world. Belief manifests worship and action. Belief takes rejection and celebrates acceptance. Someone stepped into my office today and said, I want to be baptized. Next week, during Western Sunday, we'll have to call it the watering trough. Maybe I have a sign up there, watering hole or whatever. I got three people now counting that person. Three people are coming to be baptized. Hey, hey. And if you, if you remember, just a few years ago, if a Baptist church baptized 10 or more, if you were in the two digits baptisms, you were in the top 10% of Southern Baptist churches. My, my Lord, where have we failed? Norris used to talk about, well, there was a time we baptized like 99 at some, you know, event. What happened? When someone finally says to you, I accept you, don't you want to be there? Now, last week, uh, maybe the week before, last Friday night, I think is when it was, that Tull went to that, my oldest son went to the Spurs ball game that had 68,000 people in attendance in the Alamo Dome. Anybody here in that? Sandra, really? Did John go with you? John did? Yeah, he's shaking his head and you're saying yes. That's a true marital relationship. I was there, not really. But Dennis and I were talking about this last week. I mean, how many of you are Spurs fans? Come on, don't tell me you're a Maverick fan or whatever. So if you were a Spurs fan, and in fact, where Chief and I went to it, I said, I don't like crowds, you know, I'd rather watch it on TV if I'm going to watch it. Yeah, I wouldn't mind it to be, say, I was in the, you know, World Second or Guinness World Book of Record setting. I wouldn't mind saying that. But somebody would have to come pick me up at my house in a limo, 
bring me to the front door, drop me off, and then pick me up and carry to me, me to my seat of choice before I would want to go. And then I want all my refreshments, all, all, all the concessions, you know, all of them for free. And what's more, I want to bring all my friends that will go with me. Jesus has done that for each of you, and it's not a Spurs game. He has brought you from rejection to acceptance, if you will only believe. G. Campbell Morgan, some of you may have heard that name. He is probably, and I know some of you, when you start telling History Cliff, my mind goes off. Let me tell you, he was born during our Civil War, born in 1863, died at the end of World War II, 1945. He is one of the most respected preachers of the early 20th century. Uh, that you, I know there's Spurgeon who later 1800s, uh, but this man was born and started preaching in the 1800s, but lived on. Pastored in London at Westminster, um, and then uh, I think twice, made 54 trips across the ocean to the United States, prolific writer, phenomenal preacher. And when he first was getting ready, and there are multiple, you know, his, historians have different ways of describing him from being a very sickly guy who studied all the time. Um, he, I'll tell you this, if you see pictures of him, extremely thin. Uh, those who heard him preach said he was not in flamboyant in any kind of presentation. He wasn't lively. He was just so good with what he said. It wasn't even his voice. It's what he said that captivated everyone. And when somebody asked him, how do you preach? How do you study? And he said, well, you wouldn't do it if I told you. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, typically I read the book through 40 or 50 times before I decide to preach on a particular passage. <clears throat> well, I've been to church 40 or 50 times, yeah. But when he is first trying out to preach, and, and this still happens in different denominations. My, my best friend in the chaplaincy was a Presbyterian chaplain, and when he graduated, graduated Princeton Theological Seminary, I mean, that just sounds like you're smart. You know, you went to Princeton. I went to a Baptist school. Oh, you like pictures. Yeah. No, no disrespect to your, I know. Or the, the Southern Baptist Seminary. I didn't go to the Southern. I went to Southwestern in Fort Worth. Um, but my friend, who's a Presbyterian, he had to take an ordination test, and he failed it the first time. This is a guy with a college degree, a master's in divinity, and he failed it the first time. Thank God the Baptists don't test for ordination. <laughs> well, they do have the you know ordination board and council, and those can, can be brutal. But in any event, see uh, see Campbell Morgan. Um, G. Campbell Morgan, I'm sorry, because I knew somebody's going to ask me what the G's for, and I think it's George, but I don't know. G. Campbell Morgan. He is preaching in front of a Wesleyan group <clears throat> in a large auditorium. And he preaches his best sermon he can ever preach. This is before he's going to be recognized as one of their clergy persons. And at the end of the sermon, they told him, no. And we don't see much future in preaching for you. And in those days, it was before telephone, it was before texting, it was before email. So he sent a wire telegram to his father, which, of course, any father would know if his child was going to do something and have a big test. And he sent back a simple message to his dad, rejected. 
Dad got it, and I don't know how long it took for him to reply, but Dad sent back a simple statement to say, rejected on earth, accepted in heaven. Love you, Dad. Do you believe? Then worship him. And if you believe, will you let him lead you? That is our second and final point. Hallelujah, he got to the second point. Verse 39 seems to be somewhat controversial for some. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see me will become blind. He is always turning things upside down. He's just given a blind man sight, and now he's saying, Hey, some of you are going to be turned into blindness. You're going to have blindness because you don't see me and see my forgiveness and see me as the Son of Man, see me as the Messiah. And some of these Pharisees heard that. You say, well, how does that compare with 317 that you made us already think about and read about? Doesn't it contrast or conflict? No, it does not. If anything, it complements. It reinforces that Christ came to the world not to, to condemn the world. He came to save it. And if you choose not to believe in him, then basically you have condemned yourself to a life away from him. You've condemned yourself to judgment that will lead to death and eternal damnation, hell if you want to use that word, it has condemned you to forever being separated from the love of God if you choose not to accept Jesus as your Savior. Hearing those words, these Pharisees who were hiding in the shadows, I, I think they were just kind of you know, traveling along on the periphery with Jesus, just waiting for one more thing that he could do that they could try to kill him for, which eventually they did. And in verse 40. In 41, we see, some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what? Are we blind too? I'm sure they said that very condescending. Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. At first reading, it may seem that you've got to be blind to find forgiveness. And I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. He says, if you have seen me and don't believe... Your spiritual blindness will keep your guilt, your sin, and your judgment. Blindness and darkness are often the way the Scripture portrays the lost and sin. I could list dozens of Scriptures from the Old Testament that make that connection, but I picked one for you to remember. Isaiah, if we have it in there. There you go. I will lead the blind by ways they have not known. Along unfamiliar paths, I will guide them. And I will turn the darkness into light before them and make the rough places smooth. These are the things I will do. I will not forsake them. Christ gives sight to us. And if you will just allow him to lead you, you will see what life can be like. Don, dandy Don, allowed God to lead. The Pharisees would not follow the Son of Man. This morning, I ask you to let him lead you. Much like a blind man might put his hand on your shoulder to let you lead him, put your hand either on God's shoulder or in his hand. Let him pull you up. Let him lead you and lead you on his way. Those who believe in Jesus, who trust him, know that they will lead him to righteousness. Sadly, we often take the hand or shoulder 
of someone and oh well let's keep it with this i think i said that at the opening today i think we develop spiritual cataracts most of you know i i uh get shots about every six to eight weeks for macular degeneration in my left eye uh, my left eye does, is about 2040 my other eye is about 2020 usually on a good day but i get a shot in my eye john you get them too right yeah it, it's a joy isn't it when a guy sticks a needle in your eye like dude yeah, i'll eat i'll eat brussels sprouts man i it, it, I hate Brussels sprouts, but that, getting that needle, needle in my eye, I don't like it all. But I've never heard till the last time, because he always looks in the right eye to make sure it's not get, developing a bleed or two. Because if it develops a bleed or then, you know, I have wet macular degeneration. There's dry, uh, I don't know, and I'm not trying to make this a, you know, optometry or ophthalmology lesson. But he always looks in the other eye to see if it's bleeding. And he stopped the other day, and he looked again. And I'm like, dude, what's wrong? And I'm about slapping him, you know. He's, oh, you're not dilated today. And I had to take, you know, adjust myself the way I'm looking at it. I said, oh, I thought you saw a bleeder in there. He goes, no, just the small cataract that's in there. I said, what? Old people get those. <laughs> and he said, basically, almost everybody develops one at some degree or another. It's when they get so bad that it obstructs your vision that you have to go in there and take it out. Or like, I don't know how they do it. I don't want to know right now. Sounds like pain to me. Can't, can't be worse than Brussels sprouts. Give me the Brussels sprouts. I'll eat my spinach if it makes me. You know, I'll talk back to Popeye a few weeks ago. But when you choose to follow someone else than Jesus, after you've already said, Lord, I believe and I will worship you, if you choose to follow something other than Jesus, there's that first layer of the cataracts upon your eyes. And when you say, you know what, I don't need to go to worship. I can worship on the boat, on the pond. Now, granted, there's some great stuff that happens in nature. And I, I would never, those of you who know me long enough and well enough, if you have a chance to get away, go take a day off. You know, go take a Sunday off. That's okay. That's all right. But if you choose to always stay away, I'm going to say you're missing the boat. <laughs> Love that boat illustration. Got it? Yeah. Some of you are still awake. But when you stop living out the faith, the cataracts develop. Sometimes you will have to reach out and touch him as he touches you. And I think you do that through worship and through doing the will of the Lord. Go help someone in the name of Jesus and see how you feel drawn back to worship the one who has forgiven you. Go work in a soup kitchen. Go do a mission trip. Talk to Saul. Go down to Mexico. And we got uh, those countries coming up in February to give us a presentation. Do something for your faith and see how you can tactically... Tact, that's another hard word for me. The word for touch. You can feel Christ alive in your heart. And that goes... Dan said, how are you ever going to get that last video? That goes with my final Volkswagen commercial. Here we go. I love this song. I don't even know it, but I like it. Just listen to the words. Too. Well, the rain keeps on coming down. It feels like a flood in my hair. And the road keeps on coming down. 
keeps on calling me screaming to everything Touch the Savior and believe. Touch the Savior and let him lead. Stand with me, please. We have a time of invitation. Our Father, as we have looked at this familiar passage, and most of us would never have identified with the Pharisees, for we have put our faith in you. Perhaps there's someone here who's never accepted Christ as their Savior. They've lived in darkness. They've lived in a blindness that obscures how they see the world. Let us see through your eyes. We would say today and, and ask you, Lord, to speak to those hearts and have them respond at this invitation time. To come forward, we'll pray together, we'll ask Christ into their lives. And let them begin following you, leading their life. Perhaps there's someone here, Lord, that has already believed, but yet they have developed those spiritual cataracts. And they have started to become blind in living for you. Come now and be that great physician, and heal the eyes of your children. Restore unto us the sight that comes from knowing you and following you. Perhaps, Lord, there's someone here who just needs to come to these steps and, and pray. We have a prayer team that will do that and join with them. Let your Holy Spirit move, Lord. It's a powerful, powerful passage that reveals the love you have for us. So, Lord, we want to adore you and worship you and we want to see you clearly and we ask all this in Jesus name. Amen.